bar there are no prisons? Plenty of prisons. And the union workhouses, are they still in operation? They are. I wish I could say they were not. And the trade mill and the poor law, they're still in full vigour, I presume? Both very busy, sir. Oh, from what you said at first, I was afraid that something had happened to stop them in their useful course. I'm very glad to hear it. You don't believe in me. I don't. Why do you doubt your senses? Because little things upset them. An upset stomach and put them quite out of order. You could be a crumb of mouldy cheese, an underdone turnip. <laughs> You're a little absent-minded spirit. No, I'm a large absent-minded spirit. Call security. Have them change his locks, clean out his desk, and toss him out of the building. Well, he's fired? It's Christmas. Thank you. Call accounting. Stop his bonus. Welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And we are back at the festive time of year, around Christmas time, and we have a questionably science fiction title that we're going to do, and we're going to attempt to justify it. But that title is A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, which has been adapted, of course, myriad times, and we decided to pick four adaptations, and we're going to talk about those, and we're going to do some general talk about what makes a good adaptation of any book, specifically this one. And we are also going to talk about our favorite adaptations. So, we may be here a while. By the way, of course, we're expecting that you've already read this because, well, I don't know, can we expect our listener to have read A Christmas Carol? It's a very brief book. I think we can expect our listeners to know enough about the plot to make an extremely bad adaptation, but maybe miss all the details which give it its richness and and value. Nice. To properly answer your question, I'd say no, we should not expect them to have read it, but we should expect them to have at least seen one of the theatrical versions. Yeah, I think I think I would agree that culturally people are probably aware of the main plot of A Christmas Carol. And since there are some quite faithful adaptations... I think, I think they're missing you, something. If you live in America or England and you're remotely aware of any type of cultural significance, you will know of this story. True. And the major plot points. Yes. Just saying. So we'll be talking about the 1843 book. Yes. Novella, I guess. Novella, shorter book. Yeah. And then we picked four movies. Uh, the movies were picked completely randomly. Not totally randomly. I mean, we, we we did pick sort of things we wanted to see. Like, I picked the 1951 film because I'd never seen it. Alistair Sims. Yes. yes. Oh, right. And I should point out that you, you seem to think of them via date, and I tend to think, um, think of them via the actor who played Scrooge. I tend to think of them via black and white or color. Or animated. <laughs> or <laughs> Muppet. Call, or Muppet. <laughs> James, James picked them up at Christmas Carol because he likes toys. Yes. I think, no, generally... It's just kind of a habit from doing this, because we, we talk about the various adaptations of, of a story, and I kind of refer to them by the date, mm-hmm. because the title's usually the same. Which, in, actually, in the case of the 1951 film, it's not A Christmas Carol, it's Scrooge. Exactly. Okay, so we're going to start off talking about the novel, novella. So, Colin, do you want to lead off? Opening statement and general thoughts. Opening statement. So, the book was written in 1843. He wrote it in six weeks. Uh, That's quick. At the time, believe it or not, Christmas was kind of uh, not a major cultural thing anymore in England. And the book is uh, credited with doing two things. One is is making Christmas more popular again. 
Uh, the other thing was, is there's a huge amount of social commentary in it. This idea that um, the Industrial Revolution has, has caused people to uh, devalue workers, to take advantage of them, to exploit them. Um, and that, that's that's not something that we should be doing. We should be taking care of the poor and the, the people who are being disadvantaged by this. Yeah, which is a common theme in Dickens' writings in general. Only you- having read one other book, I wouldn't hesitate to make that. But if you've read more than I have. I, I have seen adaptations of his other work. I, I have read A Tale of Two Cities, for instance. But Great that- Expectations is yeah, he, he seems to take the take up the case of the poor and downtrodden quite a bit. Right. So, and they always come out on top. Yeah, which was not always true. No, that's probably why he did it that way. I thought for sure you were going to start off with, and Marley was dead, <laughs> and Marley Jeez, was Holland dead, disappointed, me. dead as a doornail. <laughs> yes. Not okay. that I don't know why he's particularly dead about a doornail. Right. Are you actually looking at the text of the story right now? <laughs> we watched, I don't know how many movies. Right. I mean, between the, the three of us, there's probably 30 hours of movie watching? Something like that. It's a little pathetic. Yeah. But so, at Christmas time, we always watch a bunch of Christmas movies. So. Right. Yes. And these are good ones. So, uh, General thoughts about the story? Oh, I enjoy the story. Now, this was not your first time reading it. No, 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 no. I've been a Dickens reader since middle school, probably. This particular one? Yeah. How many times have you read it? Five. Wow. Eight. I just read it for the first time two, three years ago. I never had. Wow. I just read it for the first time three weeks ago. Nice. <laughs> well, we got the whole grab bag. Yeah. That so. was really good. I actually enjoyed it. Uh, at first, I was like, I don't really want to read Dickens because I read Dickens in high school. And I was like, you know, he takes three pages to describe spreading butter on a piece of toast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's pretty common in Victorian prose, right? It yeah. True. tends to be kind of a slog. And but it, I did have a Bloody Mary and three uh, Dark and Stormies. Got through it in the afternoon. Ah, see, that's that's the James school <laughs> of getting through Victorian literature. Just t- tie one on and Victorian go for it. Prose. Yeah, um, yeah, I I really enjoy it too. It's very charming. It's it's in, it's really an easy read. Like James, you were, you were saying, it's mm-hmm. you were maybe a little worried about it, but it's right. it's quite a. A brisk read. Yeah. And, and I found it very, very... What I enjoyed about it was it's very descriptive. It's it is. Very, and it's pretty yeah. witty as well. Yeah. yeah, it is. So Scrooge, despite being a curmudgeon, is kind of witty, actually. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so there's a couple passages from the book that, that we'll have to read. Rather large family to provide for. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> Imagine yeah. the grocery bills. I think from, the, from that perspective, I don't think I wholly disagree with uh, what Scrooge has to say about Christmas. Well... Consumerist Christmas. Right. Sure. I, I'm going to link in the show notes. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a story called, or not a story, an essay called Christmas and Xmas. Uh, yes. Interesting. And where where he, interesting. He, he contrasts <laughs> Christmas with Xmas, which, of course, Xmas is actually a historical Christian way of describing Christmas. It's not, it's not some paganization, really. But um, in the story, he talks about how at during Xmas, you know, you're horrified to find that someone wrote you a Christmas card that you did not write to them, and so you have to rush out and get one and send one to them. And, and <laughs> it's just kind of his... He, he's not a big fan of the commercialization of Christmas, so yeah. he kind of agrees to. Yeah. Uh, I want to throw a quick plug for the publisher's Atria. Is that the one who has our adaptation as an ebook? Because you can find this... In. Yeah, you can find it in every bookstore in the world. You can find it on Project Gutenberg. You can find it on iBiblio. Uh, we actually got a copy from Barnes & Noble that has uh, a whole mess of footnotes, cross-links. So yeah, yeah. these things that you may not know culturally, it will link you to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, sort of Victorian jargon in there. Yeah. You know, what does it mean? What, 
burying someone with a steak of holly through the heart. That explains that. Mm-hmm. Or that a 12-day cake isn't 12 days old. Right. One thing I think it would be a good idea to discuss is the title. Why is it called A Christmas Carol? Because it's clearly not a song. Thoughts? Have carols always been songs? No thoughts. I'm pretty sure that carols have always been songs. But okay. the original title, I looked it up, is A Christmas Carol in Prose, being a ghost story of Christmas. So he uh, is setting it out structurally like a song, which is why he breaks it into stages, stages. instead of chapters. Yeah. Right. All right, so... Shall we attempt to justify our the sci-fi in the room? Yes. Yes. So it's a Christmas story, and it's about... There's, you know, there's a big social aspect to it. So why, why do we consider it science fiction? So like I usually do, I went and I talked to Mr. Google and I found two very interesting articles. They were both from uh, science fiction people. One is from Tor Publishers and the other one is from Peter David. Peter David's a science fiction author and he claims that the book is actually about Scrooge, who is a mutant. <laughs> and the the psychological angst of his upbringing from his harsh father has uh, caused two things to happen. One has been the suppression of his native mutant abilities to travel through time. And uh, the other one is to you know change his personality in the way that we're familiar with through the plot of the story. Wow. That's, uh, that's a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a stretch because I think it would be much more likely to be Tiny Tim to be the mutant who wants this man to stop being mean to his father who wants to become healed. And the way to do that is to change uh, nature of reality so that Mr. Scrooge adopts his family so that he can be healed of his disease. Oh, and I meant to look up uh, the disease because they, they've studied his symptoms and they think they know what it is in real life. And they think it's a real disease <laughs> that's curable. We will allow you to look that up while somebody else is talking. The okay. disease that allows him to travel through time? No, no. The one that, one that caused him to be lame. Oh, right. And, and undergrown. What was ailing Tiny Tim? <laughs> uh, so Tor Publishers had, had a little better take on it. They weren't quite so specific. And I thought Peter David did a nice job talking about it until he took it into the mutant realm. But uh, we're, um, it's, it's certainly dealing with the supernatural. It may deal with time travel. So he had visions of the past, mm-hmm. which isn't too unusual, except that the visions are from his perspective. Right. So it's not like they're his memories. Uh when the ghost of Christmas present comes, he sees today's Christmas. And we're going to argue whether it was today's Christmas, the one that's about to happen or the one that's already happened. Right. And then the last one is he's going to see a vision of a potential future. Okay. So I think it could be a vision of a potential present as well. Alternate universe. Yes. Sure. Right. The other scientific aspect, the other sci-fi aspect of it. Turkey versus goose. Egg versus (laughs) Right. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Who swapped the bird? Who swapped the bird? And so that's where I'm going to leave it. I mean, okay. these, this could have been a, a pure psychological fantasy brought on by eating, you know, tainted wheat and drinking too much water out of lead pipes. A potato. <laughs> could have been, yeah, undigested potato. potato. There's more gravy than science fiction about you. Right. So the other data point, which you, you kindly left for me, I sent you guys the other day, that it was actually the radio play by Orson Welles, the same year that he did the... War of the Worlds radio play. He also did A Christmas Carol as a radio play. And it was nominated last year, I believe, for a Retro Hugo. Right. Which is a science fiction award. Science fiction slash fantasy, or is it? I can't remember if it's both. But either way, it's definitely genre fiction of some kind. Hugo is either. Nebula is sci-fi only. Okay. I think that's right. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, at minimum, it's paranormal or supernatural. And... I think you could make the argument that there's genuine time travel of some kind in there. So, 
I think I think it definitely falls under science fiction, but I don't think it's generally regarded as science fiction. No, it, no, it's uh, science fiction in classic clothing. <clears throat> People might read it and be delighted with it, and then if you told if you asked them, "Have you ever read any science fiction?" they'd say, "Nope." And then you point out to them, yeah. sure. it's it's the kind Which of science fiction that can slip past my wife. Oh, <laughs> slip slip past her normal science fiction uh, safeguards. Uh huh. So got right through her filter. Yeah. So James, did did you have any problems considering this science fiction, or or were you kind of like, eh, whatever you guys want to do? Nope. I like the. Uh, I agree with the justification. Time travel to the universe. I do like the mutant power thing. That's kind of interesting. That's another interesting idea. <laughs> I didn't send that out to you guys. Maybe it was so long ago you guys have forgotten about it. Well, why don't you send it to me and I'll put it in the show notes. Or you can put it in the show notes thing on the drive. It is. So. Oh, it is? Okay. Yes. I am so yeah. proactive this time. Sweet. Boom. Yeah, you did a lot of legwork on this one. So, And we, we will get back to that. Um, so I think we've kind of covered what we our general impressions of it. Um, I will say there's some very funny jokes in it. <laughs> Um, I love the whole beginning meditation on on the relative deadness of doornails versus coffin nails. Right. Yes. You will learn more about ironmongery. Exactly. Yeah. Humbug. James, you had sent us a it's tidbit true. on that. I did. I, uh, it was by reading through the IMDb trivia. I learned that humbug is an actual word. Right. Which I didn't know. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. I looked it up the same way because yeah. I'm like, what does that even mean? And its the definition pe- is something designed to deceive and mislead. A willfully false, deceptive, or insincere person. Right. So and he's saying I, that Christmas is fake. Yeah, he's saying that Christmas is a humbug. It's meant to deceive you into doing things that you normally wouldn't do throughout other times of the year. Mm-hmm. Which is a valid point for certain aspects of, especially modern day Christmas, right? mm-hmm. consumerism, all that stuff. You have all these big corporations taking advantage of Christmas to sell you more crap you don't need. Well, and it dovetails with his explanation of Christmas, right? What right do you have to pick a man's pockets every 25th of December? Right. Yeah. And you can correct any of my misquotes. <laughs> it's a poor, a poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. Yes. Right. Yeah. Watching it over and over. It's like, I mean, normally I'm good with picking up lines, but like there's some passages I can just quote verbatim. Yep. Ebenezer Scrooge. It's an interesting name. And I, I looked a little bit at, at the etymolo- etymology. Yeah. Etymology. Yeah. Etymology not, I always want to say entomology. Did you come across as Gaelic? Well, Ebenezer is Hebrew. No, no, word. no, I'm Scrooge. Okay, yeah. Meaning what? Uh, like tight. Yeah, I, I came across... Or no, to squeeze. Yeah, to squeeze, squeeze, right? Yeah. Um, and Ebenezer is, is actually referenced from the Bible. It's in the famous uh, hymn that church people know. Um, I raise my Ebenezer. Yeah, come thou fount of every blessing. For, for, for our listener at home, we have cut out Colin singing. Um, but it means a stone of witness. And so it's kind of like the, the, the image that brings to me is trying to squeeze oil out of a stone or what is it? Squeeze, squeeze water out of a stone. Yeah. Squeeze water out of a stone. We'll just call him stone from now on. Stone. Yeah. Or squeeze. Yes. Other, other tidbits about the book. I mean, we're all recommending it, right? It's a delightful yep. read. Oh yeah. Yeah. Even if you've yep. seen the movie a bazillion times, I think it's definitely worth a read. Especially depending on which movie you've watched. That's true, yeah. Because uh, an unfaithful adaptation does you a favor of letting you read the book and be surprised. Yes. The last line of of the book just cracks me up, the, and here it is. He had no further intercourse with spirits, but lived upon the total abstinence principle ever afterwards. <laughs> Which, it's, it's like, it's a layered joke, right? The total abstinence principle of spirits, of course, would be meaning like he doesn't drink anymore. Right. right? 
um, because spirits instead of alcohol. But then intercourse and abstinence has another connotation. And I'm like, it, it's, it's easy not to credit people from the 19th century with having that kind of wit, but he definitely did. So. Yeah. Well, and so much of it we wouldn't get because a lot of humor totally. is uh, culturally has cultural context in it, and we don't mm. know those contexts. Yes. And that's where that, that edition of the book actually helps, because it kind of talked about yeah, the total abstinence. Yeah. yeah. For a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. So, ready to move on, talk about movies? So, we picked four movies. We did. And, and yeah, really, we sat around with a list of the things that we thought we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. We, uh, yeah, we, we kind of went, we're not going to hit them all, so let's, let's all choose one, and then sort of agree on maybe a fourth. Let's go ahead and list the versions that we covered mm-hmm. uh, and i'm gonna go the same order we did when we picked them during our last podcast which oh. shall not be named right. james went first i think and your choice was i chose the muppets yes 1992 the Muppet christmas carol starring michael Caine yeah. as scrooge and kermit the frog as bob Cratchit. yes yeah. and the gonzo and gonzo is the narrator yeah charles or dickens charles dickens, dickens. yeah yes. charles dickens wait you're not charles dickens all right and then <laughs> colin picked I picked the 1999 TNT production starring Patrick Stewart. Nice. Then I picked the 1951 Alistair Sim movie Scrooge. And then we all decided that we should also do Scrooged starring Bill Murray from yes, 1988. Right. So, and then I further picked 1984 George C. Scott Christmas Girl. Sorry, I had to mention it. That's well, I think we all did watch it. So we, we, we'll definitely talk about that one at some yeah. point. And then we, we, yeah, although it's not. Also one of the four we threw in the 19, uh, 2009 Jim Carrey adaptation. Right. So after we finish talking about the ones that we said we would do, let's, we'll, we'll go kind of round table with some of the other versions that we've all seen. Or Jeez, that some of the promises have. and keep them. Let's go generally chronological order, but I want to save, save Scrooge for last. Okay. Just because I feel like it's kind of a different uh, bird. And I guess we'll start with the 1951, which was my choice. And so I will do kind of the opening statement for that one. Okay. Um, I don't have a lot to say about it, other than it's it's really quite a good movie. Um, I guess now I'm, I'm talking about my general yeah. thoughts about it. Um, it was a theatrical release, which that, that does set it apart from some of the other versions that we're covering. We have TV ones as well as theatrical releases. Right. Um, it's black and white. Just searching on the internet, there's a lot of love for the 1951 version. Um, and a lot of people consider it, it kind of the gold standard by which all the other ones are, are measured. And I definitely saw signs in some of the other versions that we watched that they were influenced by it. Because there were, there were particular things that were in them that were not in the book. Right. Mm. But then and, were propagated into other movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Though I can't remember what they are at the moment, so hopefully, hopefully that'll come back to me <laughs> and pay that off. Um, so, general thoughts. I, as I said, I, I think it's it's really quite a tremendous version. It does take some liberties, and we'll we'll talk about some of those as we talk about what we liked or didn't like. Mm-hmm. But really, in, in the 1950 uh, edition, we're talking about a movie that has already been made 50 years ago. Yes, I guess that's worth mentioning that the, the history of adaptation for this. I mean, we looked on Wikipedia, and between television and Movies, not to say anything of plays or audio dramas. Yes. Dozens of adaptations. Some of them more faithful than others. Um, yes. Uh, you know, there's a Barbie Christmas Carol. So, yeah. Yikes. Well, and we should, I should say, right, within, uh, w- within weeks of the first uh, stage presentation of A Christmas Carol, there were eight other productions running at the same time. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean the staying power of it too, because as as we said, what's the most recent adaptation? I think maybe the Jim Carrey one, two thousand nine. Yeah, two thousand nine. Yeah, in terms of major theatrical releases, well, that we know of. I mean, there might be a TV release 
more recent than that. Yeah, no, I was talking well, about theatrical. Well, he did specify major. Theatrical. Theatrical. Okay. I, think, I think, though, if you, if you want to find the previous theatrical release, it's the 1970 Albert, Albert musical. Kinney? Yeah. Uh, so, so there was a lull was there. George C. Scott not a theatrical release? No. No, no. It, was a, it was a TV movie. Yeah, you know, I thought that was interesting oh. because the ones that, that we liked best, mm-hmm. they were all TV productions. Yes, yeah. that's crazy. Yep. Which, in a way, I think makes sense because if you think about the medium that Dickens was probably most familiar with, it was writing and stage. Yeah, and I think there's something to the TV movie or the TV version of it being appropriate because at Christmas time, you don't necessarily want to run out to a theater, right? You can stay right. home with your family and watch this movie. True. So, and certainly that's the way it worked for me. So, yep. Uh, 1951, Colin, uh, any thoughts? Uh, my wife really likes the movie mm-hmm. and the, the story. And so one year for Christmas, many years Therefore, ago. he really likes the story in the movie. Yes, absolutely. No, it's one of those places where we gel together. <laughs> um, I bought her a, a beautiful, large coffee table sized uh, illustrated edition of it. And then I bought her two movies. One was the 1999 Patrick Stewart because it's one that we really like. And the other one was the other one I could find, which was the 1951 Alistair Sim. And so, you know, I've been watching this now for mm, 10 years. Yeah. Really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a standout performance as Scrooge. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people kind of judge other Scrooges by that. And I, I actually found that in watching so many of them in such a short time, you, you kind of just start to compare and go, oh, I like that one better than that. I like that bit better than that. Yeah. Which I, I suppose is natural. And that's what we do. Sure. James, uh, what do you think? Had you seen it before? No, this okay. was the first time. Yeah, yeah. same uh, for me. I, th- I felt of all the Scrooges, I think um, that one really nailed in the past. His Scrooge's past, creating like who he was. They spent a lot of time on it. Yeah, so maybe this is where we should go yeah. into some of the differences between yeah. the movie and the book. Okay. Generally, in adapting a Christmas Carol, you, you have a few things to do. You have to establish Scrooge as a character, right? right. You have to establish Marley. Then the ghosts and sort of his conversion, right? right. And th- those are the major things that you have to do. And like you said, James, the, the 1951 thing dwells on kind of the establishment of the character right. and particularly his past. His past yeah. yeah. Um, it was the only version that we saw that adapts. A, it's a trivial scene from the book, but Scrooge goes and has dinner. He has his normal, I can't remember what the word was, mundane dinner at a mundane pub or something like that oh yes. yeah <laughs> and it was the only place that showed him but it used that opportunity to establish his character further because he's sitting there eating his soup or whatever it is and asks for bread and the waiter says it's a hey penny extra and he goes no bread no bread no soup no for you no bread for you yeah. <laughs> so he's not willing to pay a hey penny which is half of a penny yeah which back then was more than now but still a hey penny seriously because he's he's got some dough yes right I was never totally clear in the story or really any of the films what Scrooge did for a living. I mean, he, I, I guess he's a lender to some extent. He's a businessman. Well, I so think he had, a, he, he had multiple ventures. He's a venture on. capitalist. Right. Yeah. I, guess, I guess that's about right. Yeah. Like in the George C. Scott adaptation, he's uh, selling commodities. He has a right. bunch of corn. Yeah. yeah. And then in most of the stories, there's a couple that has a mortgage through him. Mm-hmm. So he's a money lender. Yeah. Right. Money lender, yeah. clearinghouse. So, I think mostly clearinghouse and money lender probably sounds yeah. like it. But Business. Anyhow, the, the, the 1951 <laughs> film, then in the Ghost of Christmas Past scene, it has extra stuff in there that's not in the story. But that goes a long way towards mm-hmm. showing how he became the man he is. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if this is one of the versions where it talks about his mother dying, giving birth to him. I 
think it is. And then doesn't it draw oh, a parallel between yeah. that and fan and dying Fred, yeah. when James, when Fred is bad, is born? <laughs> Don't blame James. James. <laughs> Sorry. I think maybe that's what I was remembering. Because remember, I mentioned it as yes. in one of my movies, and you were, you had said that it was a product of the 1951 film. Right. I think the 1999 oh, yeah, one right. echoes that. Oh, the dying with, in childbirth? Yeah. yeah which I you never go into what actually kills his mom in the story. Or his sister. No. No. It also spends some time dwelling on uh, his development as a financier. Right. Right. So at one point, he's talking about buying out Fezziwig. Well, this is after he works for Fezziwig and gets headhunted away. Yes. Uh, which was an interesting right. scene. But it definitely, you know, it showed his tendency to chase gold, which makes sense. And I feel like the story does a good enough job showing that, but it's mostly telling it, really, because it, it, puts, it puts those words in Belle's mouth. Yes. That, that, that another idol has displaced her. And that's good enough for most readers to go, why are you going to choose money over the love of your life? That, but the movie, I think, did a really good job showing that because, yeah, it shows him then, does he buy out Fezziwig? I, I know he goes and works for somebody else who turns out, turns out to uh, go all Enron on his corporation and right. embezzle from it. Right. And he and Marley, who have established their fortunes, then buy buy the whole place out in order to keep it from going under. Right. Right. So I guess it was the corporation that went and, you yeah. know, but pulled they the rug a, out from underneath Fezziwig. But they get a controlling interest by doing that. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I particularly like about the 1951 movie is the scene when Scrooge wakes up from going to see the final, the, the third ghost. He ends up seeing one of the people that he saw in his uh, his future trip the maid that's going to steal a bunch of his belongings. Right. And he scares the living daylights out of her right. so much that she becomes convinced that, you know, he's gone crazy and is going to hurt her. And then he finally catches her on the stairs and she goes, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Nice. Um, right. Let's talk about Marley just a little bit. Um, one of the interesting things, it's 1951, you don't have the technology to have someone who's going to look translucent on screen at the same time as somebody who's real. Right, And so they never actually interacted, which in Alistair Sims' interaction with Marley, I, I'm kind of impressed with how well the dialogue actually went, given that. But I didn't like Marley. I, th- I thought Marley was really overacted. Um, it, it, to me, it reminded me a little bit. I watched the original silent film. Oh. And, and of course, there's that just extreme overacting that happens in silent films because you can't speak. Mm-hmm. And and right. that's kind of what Marley reminded me of. Like, oh, okay, that this guy must have worked in silent films earlier. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, if you're going to talk about Marley, the 1970 Albert Finney version with Sir Alec Guinness playing Marley, mm-hmm. did you see his acting performance doing that? He he doesn't move. He doesn't walk. He kind of swims through the ether mm-hmm. <laughs> as he comes into the room, and he's like Whoa. doing this kind of like sinuous army hippie <laughs> leggy kind of a thing, and you're like. Wow, dude, you're supposed to be a Jedi. <laughs> yeah, that's embarrassing. Yeah. Okay, that's in, awesome. any any other any other things to talk about about 1951? <clears throat> things you liked, things you didn't like. I have a couple of things that, like I said, Marley, I wasn't I wasn't thrilled with. But yeah, I think I kind of give it extra points for adding scenes in that really worked. Mm-hmm. The unfortunate thing is, if you're going to adapt something into a 90 minute movie, and you're going to stick, you know, if you're going to adapt something that adapts pretty slickly faithfully into a 90 minute movie and you're going to keep it at 90 minutes if you add something in you have to subtract something else yes and it definitely does some of that it doesn't adapt some of the other stuff that i was used to in more canonical versions so that's always the trouble of i think adapting something and going oh you know what we really need to do this to show something else 
Not that I'm going to argue for uh, fidelity to the source. No, no, because, well, in this case, like you said, right, the adapted scenes do a lot to establish his character, mm-hmm. right? What, what, what I feel like is it does such a good job establishing as a, him as a character, I have a harder time believing his conversion. Like, it doesn't, the conversion part gets a little short shrift for me. Because several uh, times he's interacting with the ghosts and he says, I'm too old for this. Right? <laughs> yes. Essentially. I mean, not, right. not, not well, when exactly. the first ghost comes, you know, I'm here mm-hmm. for your welfare. My welfare is best served by a full night's sleep. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> True. And, and he says a couple of times, I'm too old to change. I'm too old to change. And, and so then at the end, all of a sudden he changes and, and sexually assaults his nurse. I mean, as a <laughs> housekeeper. Um, that was kind of a strange. <laughs> yeah, it was. Where would that come out of? I liked the fact that they kind of went with it though, because because she says, "You know what I'm going to do," and or, or I'm, I'm going to give you money, and and she says, "Why?" So I'll keep quiet. <laughs> As if uh, and no, okay. For anyone watching at home or listening at home, no, he did not assault her, but uh, he was friskier than usual. Uh, he, I don't think he was generally given to touching people in any way, or right. smiling, or, or smiling, talking yeah. to them in anything other than a yeah. So I. In in one way, I kind of liked that added scene that showed how some people might react to him, and it, the book even talks about that about how you know people mocked him for for his change and he didn't care. Yeah, Tiny Tim. So Tiny I, Tim. I I Tiny I sent an article out. I put it on the Facebook page. I'll put it in the show notes talking about this particular guy's favorite adaptations and the annoyance of Tiny Tim. This person I think is a, a little jaded and uh, cynical. Mm-hmm. I don't usually find kids that annoying in films. Sometimes I do. But um, in this one. After Earth. Ooh. Oh, goodness. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you want a couple more? <laughs> no. <laughs> there definitely are some times where kids are really, really annoying. But like, I know some people are like super annoyed with the kids in Jurassic Park. I didn't find them that annoying. Yeah. It's a unique system. But the Tiny Tim in this one, I, I feel like the Tiny Tim is an important enough character. You need to get him right. And in this one, like, he's not that tiny. And he looks really quite healthy. Yeah, that's true. Right. You compare him to some of the other Tiny Tims mm-hmm. from uh, the Patrick Stewart adaptation, mm-hmm. from the Albert Finney adaptation, yeah. from the George C. Scott adaptation. He does not look small or ill. Mm-mm. No, he looks really quite healthy. Okay, uh, final thoughts on 1951. Anything else you want to talk to? So who's next on our list? I think James is up next. I, well, okay, you know, final thoughts <clears throat> on it. 1951, definitely worth watching. Oh, yeah. Right, for sure. All right, we all agree. Okay, I guess we yeah. should move on. So, James, any, any opening statement for the 1992 Muppet Christmas Carol? Marley was dead. True. Both of them. Both of them. Marley's double the Marley, Marley's double the fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yes. ever since we watched that movie, I'm, I'm, let me jump in. You can cut <laughs> okay, me off. You want. <laughs> it's a musical. Right. And, and there's a scene where the two Marleys come to visit Scrooge, and it's a musical number. And it's, it's Marley and Marley. Woo! And we have been doing that when we see one another for weeks now. Yep. So I'm glad we can put it away. It's really annoying my son. So Oh, it is? is it really? they, they watched it at his school, and everybody at school is singing it, and he's like, mm, muggles. <laughs> Actually, he's, he's going around, bah, humbug. <laughs> he didn't straighten up, buddy. Humbug. Yeah. I should tell him. He's, he's Scrooge. Yeah. So, the Muppets Christmas Girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I think I chose this one because I thought it was extremely entertaining. It is. And I, I like all the music and the... Musical aspect of it. Michael Caine's awesome. Mm-hmm. Kermit's awesome. I will say, <laughs> Michael Caine is not much of a singer. But as Scrooge, he only has to sing one song. So it's okay. Yeah. And it's a, at a celebratory part of the movie, so you're willing to allow it. Overall, not a faithfully adapted movie, I suppose. You know... Quite a bit of it, but quite a bit, they 
well, so cut out for uh, you know they got to make that ninety minute movie ninety minutes right, and then put in all that music. So that yeah, and put in all that music. Stuff, yeah, so. yeah. So I feel like the stuff that it adapted, it adapted quite faithfully. There's a right. lot of dialogue that's straight out of the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a few more or less kind of improvised things here and there to allow for there being puppets, Muppets. Right. Yeah, and and yeah, to to make space for the songs. Yeah, but I didn't feel like any of the songs or anything really detracted from the story. You could make an argument that, well, no, I don't think you can make the argument that that some of the songs <laughs> change the characters. Like Marley is supposed to be a little disturbing and, and creepy, right? Well, right. it's targeted at kids, so yes. so they added humor into it, and mm-hmm. and I think that was a brilliant idea because it makes yeah. the story a little more palatable for right. for younger kids. Like when the two thousand nine version came out, I mm. I brought it home and it freaked my son out. Um, Marley, he didn't like Marley, or when the door knocker changed. And and then Marley was creepy, and then the Ghost of Christmas yet to come right. was creepy. Oh, and the Muppets has by far the best door knocker, for sure. It's true, yeah. <laughs> um, but but so I think that the Muppets did a good job of of making it palatable for younger audiences, and even right. in the parts that would have been creepy, Gonzo as Charles Dickens as the narrator kind of allowed the viewer to be scared yes. because he said he was scared, and right. yeah, I think that was that was well done. Yeah. So no yeah. no surprises that way. Yeah. True. I was going to say one notable thing about the Muppets versus the rest of the movies is you have the narrator there to relate the viewer, right, the yeah. audience to the, the story of what's going on. Yeah, in some of the other ones, there's some voiceover. Right, but but no, like what you just said, with it's okay to be yeah, scared because yeah. guiding, guiding scared, you right? through the story. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and Which helps too because it's, a, it's what targeted at children, so they might not get everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. So it's helpful to have that guidance through the story to make sure. The points are driven home, I suppose. Yeah, and and there's some bits of slapstick to, to right. for attention release, you know, if, <laughs> right. because yes. how many times do Gonzo and the rat get uh, knocked out of the window? <laughs> Several times. Yep. Right. And there's the point where they're trying to follow Scrooge, and to do that, they have to climb over a gate. But the rat realizes he left his bag of jelly beans, <laughs> so, he, so he crawls through. under the gate because he fits. <laughs> so he just walked right through the gate. Yeah, he just walked right through. <laughs> when he was coming back, he walked right through the gate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but like I guess we didn't really do. Uh, overall thoughts for the rest of us but obviously we all like it yeah it was funny it's entertaining yeah. and it's it's a nice entry-level mu- movie if you want to take your kids and get them familiar with it watching mm-hmm. it yeah but i figured the best part is that it's entertaining you're watching movies to be entertained it's entertaining so you should definitely watch the movie yeah you don't want a movie to be a slog right but i don't feel like any of them really are no that's true um but like you said yeah the door knocker when it right. morphs into uh, <laughs> the face of i think that's statler statler yeah i that's my favorite Door knocker. Right. Um, it's just rad. <laughs> and, you know, there's a little bit of visual effects in there, right? Right. With that and, like, the Ghost mm. of Christmas Past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think I figured out it has the most variety of special effects. It's got standard uh, film effects. Mm-hmm. It's got some stop motion. It's got CGI. And then it's got puppetry and miniatures. Yeah. And I love the opening shot, which is the backward crawl through London. Because mm-hmm. it just keeps going and going and going. Remember, it must have been a huge set for that. Yeah. Well, the the other thing is, so some of the production values, there's some of the films where I'm like, ah, that does not convince me that it's London. Well, on a Muppet movie, you're not going to, you're not going to nitpick that, <laughs> right? And so, yes. so you're willing to make allowances. Yeah, there there were parts in that movie. I think, well, there were parts in several of the movies, though, where you can see um, St. Peter's Cathedral. Mm-hmm. You're like, St. Peter's isn't there. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I was looking at uh, goofs on IMDb, right. and there's a couple of. I think the George C. Scott one, right? It's not laid out right. the right way to go to Camden Town that exactly. way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I, I like uh, the part at, at Fozzie Wigs. Fozzie Wigs. Which is Fozzie oh, yeah. Bear. Um, with Animal playing the triangle, you know, just kind of sort of being all sedate and then just all of a sudden going with the drum solo. <laughs> yeah. That was rad. Also, my favorite adaptation of The Ghost of Christmas Present is in The Muppets. Because he's supposed to be giant, right? Yeah. And oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we should explain that. You need to watch the movie to fully appreciate it. But there's this great, big, huge Muppet, and he is so big, he doesn't fit in the room. And so when when uh, Scrooge comes out of his, his room to see the Ghost of Christmas Present, he's kind of like jammed in there, and his head's twisted at 90 degrees, and he's like, yeah. come out, man, and know me better. Yeah, yeah. So I like that. And it's, it's a little physical comedy, and it's a really cool Muppet, actually. Yeah. So it puts some magic into into a Christmas Carol because there was none. Magic and song. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts, Colin, on Muppet Christmas Carol? I think as far as musicals go, musical Scrooges, it's my favorite. I would agree. Having seen one other, yes. Yeah, I haven't seen any other musical Scrooges because I heard that the other musical Scrooge wasn't worth watching. <laughs> it's not that it's not worth watching, but this one, it has just enough music in it to be musical. But not so much as to be annoying. But not like, oh, okay. Not yeah. overdone, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Right, I got you. Okay. It's, it's, it's quality <clears throat> over quantity. Right. So, not that any of the singing is tremendous or anything. I mean, it's not like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> oh, yeah. Muppets, you know. Right? Uh, I, I will say, though, that um, Miss Piggy does not make a convincingly hungry Mrs. Cratchit. No, she does not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, his nephew does a pretty good Tiny Tim. Yes. Yeah. I'll agree with that. There's an interesting connection between between the BBC show Luther and two versions of Christmas Carol. Uh, the nephew of Scrooge in the Muppet Christmas Carol is in the show Luther, as well as Mrs. Cratchit from the 1999 version. Really? Yep. They're they're both cops. Huh? huh. That's cool. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, you know, the 1999 Mrs. Cratchit definitely does look you know wan and mm-hmm. not healthy and underfed. Yeah. Uh, so I think unlike perhaps, the Mrs. Cratchit in the 1951 Alistair Sim, <laughs> she's a little round. Yeah, a little bit. I think the Cratchit family in the 99 one looks pretty, well, pretty East London, except that Camden Town's not East London. Oh, where is Camden Town? North London. North London. Yeah. I I don't know nothing about no London. Yeah. He's yeah, James has been there. Yeah, I know. Okay. Uh, yes, definitely 1992. Watch it. It's good. Especially if you've got kids and, and you're worried that they're not old enough to watch A Christmas Carol, they probably are old enough to watch A Muppet Christmas Carol. Yes. Right. And Michael Caine is tremendous. Right. He has a good growl. He, yeah. And then he does a great turnaround. Yeah. And in fact, I I would say kind of the graveyard scene, his is my favorite version of it, um, if I take nostalgia out of things. I think I think mm. he, he, he does a very good, like his voice is kind of breaking uh, – yeah, I like yeah. it. I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, and that's a nice segue into the 1999 TNT production with Patrick Stewart. Yes. So, uh, yeah, produced by TNT, released on DVD not long after. Uh, what, what notable about it is Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart, who sh- you know shoots to international fame. Wait, who's Patrick Stewart? You mean Jean Luc Picard? Right? I mean Jean Luc Picard. There you go. Yes. Uh, it was an English guy played to <laughs> perform or portray a French guy. Who then later comes back and performs an, an English, guy. English, you know, short story novella. <laughs> right. Uh, it's beautiful, absolutely. It's one of my favorites of all time. So you know, I'll, I'll spoil the rankings there. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, Patrick Stewart used to do and, and may still do, for all I know, a one man 
Dickens' play. He came to Anchorage and did that, and uh, my two older sisters went and saw him. Really? Mm-hmm. He does a lot of one-man stuff, actually, on the London stage. I didn't know he that. He does a lot of one-man Shakespeare, too. Boy, yeah, it's it's a very faithful adaptation. Uh, we were looking for, you know, I've, my kids know what I'm doing, right? We're watching Christmas Carol movies, and I'm ranking them to see how accurate they are mm-hmm. and which ones I like. And the kids notice that Scrooge has ink stains on his hands. That's the level of detail they went to in making this. Mm-hmm. I guess we didn't. We didn't. Um, I had said we were going to talk just generally about adaptations, and going into this, um, <laughs> Colin had said that he thought the 1999 version was the best version, and so I challenged him. Well, what is the best version? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And and generally, as Colin goes, what he thinks is well, the best version is the most faithful version. Yeah, I'm not sure that's that's the whole definition, but th- that was that was your basic idea, right? Yeah. And so Colin then lays out a chart on our on our Google Drive that we all share and shoots himself in the foot. Well, no, and and, and, and puts <laughs> plot points on there, and then maps you know, plot points from the story, and then maps them to how if they were faithfully executed in the movies, and that's that's the standard, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, in fact, you know, here as we do this podcast, I'm looking at my laptop screen, and it's showing me that spreadsheet, and it's full right. of red and orange and and uh, green and subnotes and and uh, highlighted notes and yeah, and and it gets pretty high marks for that. Yeah, it does have some novel content in it, and you didn't you didn't really allow for that in in your chart. No, that that was part of the original idea, mm-hmm. but after I did a couple and didn't start doing it, it was too late to start adding it. Right. So we know what it's missing. We don't know what it has added. Yes. Yeah. Right. Now, of course, I fundamentally disagree that fidelity to the source material is the thing to look for in determining if a movie is the best. Sure. So I think at most you could say this one is the most faithful. No. No. The most faithful adaptation that we... Okay. Out of the four that we picked, it is definitely the most faithful. Closely followed by uh, another one that we didn't pick with the George C. Scott. Right. Right. Um, but it, it drops off pretty quickly after that. It does, yeah. So um, the empirically most faithful one is... Dun, 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 dun. Out of every movie we've all watched? Right. The 2009 Jim Carrey Disney adaptation. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Which, though, you know, that one does add some spectacle in. Yes. And it does... I right. think it adds in a couple other scenes as well. Yeah. I haven't there seen is, it in a yeah. number there, of There's years. quite a few scenes in here where they pander to the fact it's a 3D. It was meant to be a 3D. And- so, uh... What did you, so, had you guys seen the 1999 movie before? I had seen the 1999 movie before. Um, I had seen it when I was in Anchorage for Christmas, and my sister's a big Patrick Stewart fan because she... Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah, be, yeah because, of, because of Star Trek. Jean-Luc Picard fan. And because she had gone to see him in Anchorage doing the one-man play, and then she had it on oh, interesting. Well. Right. Um, yeah. And I hadn't watched A Christmas Carol in a number of years when I saw the 1999 version mm-hmm. and so i as i recall i really enjoyed it so i'm going to call you out because you've said you know you've brought up the word nostalgia a few times yes so your ultimate favorite one my my favorite one well no we'll, we'll get back to that later you want to get back to it okay yeah, yeah. doesn't that, that come in rankings yeah but yes. we're, well, we're kind of doing general <laughs> thoughts and i i, I do right. agree it's definitely more faithful it adapts some of the scenes that you don't see in the other ones yes um more faithful for instance it uh it shows more of the ghost of christmas presents activities and visiting other celebrations like on a ship and at a mining colony and yes a mining mm. colony <laughs> there comes the sci-fi miners miners not miners <laughs> well they were a colony that was completely self-contained i guess that's true and I, you know, even though it wasn't a musical, the music in the story really kind of comes out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it shows Christmas carols actually being sung. Yeah, right. Yeah, 
in more than one language. Yeah. James, uh, initial thoughts on 1999? On the Picard Christmas Carol? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 uh, overall, yeah, it was a good movie. And I, I did notice the uh, attention to detail on quite a few parts in the movie mm-hmm. uh, to make it more kind of authentic, I guess. One thing that I thought was interesting was that it started with Scrooge burying or signing off on Marley's funeral, right? Mm-hmm. And the doornail discussion from the beginning of the book is put in his and the right. Undertaker's mouths. Yes, which is is kind of funny, and it, I think that's that's a terrific way to adapt some a fun bit of prose from a story mm-hmm. by putting it in the mouths of the characters, yeah. even though it wasn't dialogue. So yeah, so it, the movie so totally ends taking liberty. <laughs> The movie ends with Fred giving a voiceover talking about how his uncle changes right. and basically reading the last several paragraphs right. of the book. Yeah. And, you know, we, uh, we talked about, you know, what makes a good adaptation, you know, should, should it have been a voiceover in the beginning? Right. Or maybe the end should have been Fred talking to his children, talking yeah, about, you know, Uncle Scrooge. They do that several and, different ways in all the different films, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you got the, that Dornell conversation coming in there and that they do the same thing in the Jim Carrey version. Uh, oh, nice. I, see, I haven't seen that one in a while. I haven't seen that oh. one. So uh, how do they, you mean as far as doing the, the end notes and the introduction or? No, no. The, so the same scene from Car Christmas Girl where he's signing the, burial. Signing the oh. death certificate okay. or burial certificate, burying him, having the whole Dornell conversation. That scene, that whole sequence is also done in the 2009 Jim Carrey. Was, was that not in the 1951 version? I, I, thought that was, so. I thought that was part of the Ghost of Christmas Past. I know in one of the other versions, it yeah, at least I, referenced. I, I think the Picard Christmas Carol and Carrie Carol was the only, <laughs> were the only two do, yeah. two times that was done that way. Okay. In the 1951, doesn't Marley call him to come visit? Um, yeah, he does. He does because it's the maid that comes to get him, and she ends up talking with Cratchit for a while, and he gets there, and Marley's trying to deliver a message, and then he dies while he's there. Right, because he doesn't come right away. He comes after business closes <laughs> at 7 p.m. Yeah. Okay. Not at eight, but seven. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, that's probably worth mentioning. We haven't discussed this yet. The timing of the ghosts. Yeah. It's different every time. It, it was <laughs> adapted in a number of different ways. Let's, let's, let's get through all four. And then we can come back okay. and talk about some of our you know, pet peeves. Sure. And, um, I will say I didn't enjoy the 1999 one as much this time. And I think it's a consequence of having watched so many versions of it. That you start comparing them, and I was noticing things that I thought, oh, it's that's drawing on the 1951 version. And I'm always right. mentally comparing every version to my favorite version, which we'll talk about subsequently. <laughs> yes. And and some some parts of of this version, just to me, I'm like, ah, oh, that's just a cheap knockoff of the other one. Mm. Um, right. I and my main gripe with it is I do feel like it looks a little cheap, and I don't know, I can't put my finger on what it is, but I I didn't think the produ- production values were. Made for Quite TV. It was made for TV, but <laughs> so was my other favorite. I, 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 yes. I, should, I did not I realize should. that one was made for TV, though. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, it didn't feel as real to me. And part of that, I think, is... And I should just say that I'm talking about the George C. Scott version. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite part of any Christmas Carol movie ever made is the encounter with Marley in the 1984 George C. Scott version. And I like how real Marley is. That's, that's what I like. Should, should we t- get back to this later? When we're talking about other versions, let's wrap up talking about. Yeah, let's wrap up. So we got to talk about one other. Yeah. So okay, okay. I, one other I, movie. I'll close up my thoughts on 1999. Okay. You can rebut if you want. Um, no, you can't because we got to keep going. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think we're pretty much wrapped on 1999. 
Yeah. Yeah. We got to get moving. Yep. Okay. So the last movie to talk about is the least accurate, but maybe most fun out of all of them, which was the 19. 19- I don't know. Muppets is pretty fun. Dude. The Muppets is pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 1988 Scrooge starring Bill Murray with a cast of other people. It, it, hands down, this one has has the best opening of any of them, right? When it's 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 a movie promo for The Night the Reindeer Died. <laughs> yes. Right. Starring <laughs> Lee Majors. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. You've been extra good this year, Lee. So this it's an interesting one because it's, yeah, it's a less faithful take on the whole thing. It's a modernization of it. And when you do that, you're going to change... Some aspects of it. Yes. You could have made him a banker, but instead they made him a television executive because those guys are jerks, I guess. Yes. Um, right. But I give them credit for framing the entire thing around a production, a television production of A Christmas Carol called Scrooge. Right. right. So in this case, Scrooge is a television executive president named... I can't even come up with his name. I was thinking about it. And I'm Lumpy. Like, I do not know. Yeah, Lumpy. <laughs> he gets this nickname from the girlfriend no, that he... Cross Cross was his last name. I can't remember. Yes. Name. Something Cross. Yeah. Something Cross. Who cares? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bill Murray. So, uh, yeah, a whole... Uh, he's he's staked his career on this brand new interpretation of A Christmas Carol, which they're going to broadcast live Christmas Eve. And just to tell you the level of zaniness, his boss... Uh, the president of the board or whoever is above him comes down and he says, uh, I want to talk to you about pets. Yeah. Do you know how many pets there are in the they United States? They watch television. They watch television. <laughs> They're going to be a major market segment That's by 2025. Right. Yes. That was a very funny cameo. Well, not a cameo, but minor role by Robert Mitchum. Yes. A famous action star of the like 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it just, it just kind of goes that way. It's a very tongue-in-cheek kind of mm-hmm. take on it. Uh, the, the base plot is all there. You know, uh, the sad childhood, uh, getting into television, choosing television over his fiance, uh, you know, stomping on people, sacrificing people, being cheap. His Christmas presents uh, alternate between towel, 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 VCR. hand towel, VCR. <laughs> yeah, that was top of the line. Your own brother! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It... I have to say, there's something about comedies of this era that I feel like don't hold up as well as, I don't, I'm not even sure as well as what, but like I watched Ghostbusters not that long ago and thought, I remembered it being funnier. And this was another one where I watched, I think in college, I don't think I saw it when it was first out. Um, and I remembered laughing a lot more. And this time when I watched it, I'm kind of like, oh, that's, that's a little skeezy. You know, there, there's some definite... Yeah, like the whole uh, outfit thing with the Gossal Gold Dancers. Yeah, yeah, or or you can yeah. see her nipples. Well, I want to see her nipples. Yeah, very not very family friendly. Not in that aspect, no. Which isn't shocking, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Well, there's also you know Carol Kane assaulting him with a toaster. That was my favorite part because I wanted to hit him with a toaster. <laughs> you wanted to hit him with a toaster. Evidently, she felt really bad about that. Oh, really? Did she actually hit him? <laughs> no, I, I'm not sure if she actually hit him, but she didn't like the idea that she was being portrayed as being violent. Oh. Yeah. Well, given how much damage he has done to Christmas, maybe she had her, you know, it, yeah, it was right. due. I really like the way they did those transitions for her. I did every, too. every Every time they transitioned from memory to memory, she clocked him with something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even write down any. Uh, oh, I didn't. I wrote down three, three uh, notes on this one. Kind of lame. Loved the cabbie. Oh, the, the cabbie, cabbie was, was cool. good, and there was yeah, the cabbie. That, he was the highlight. The Ghost of Christmas Past. I liked the right. idea of it being in a in a classic cab, mm-hmm. and I liked the little bit. It was kind of a reference to, I can't remember if it was the story. I know it was in the George C. Scott movie, so it probably was. 
I guess I have to go back to one of those movies, right? Where, where the ghost of Christmas past is saying this boy has no friends. And he says, oh, are you kidding me? And he names off all these literary characters who are his friends. <laughs> yeah, and, right. That's and, the George C. Scott version. Yeah. 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 And then in this, in the Scrooged, the cabbie asks him a couple questions and he responds and he says, no, 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 that's from a movie from, you know, from the Bad News Bears or from, <laughs> from Lassie. Yeah, that's from, from Lassie. this. Exactly. Yeah. So for me, he was kind of the highlight of the, of the whole thing. I didn't buy the conversion at the end, really. Yeah. He, although he I, definitely broke and went crazy, though. I, I felt like the speech at the end was unscripted, and maybe that's what they were going for, you know, because obviously it would be unscripted, right? But I Well, you figure it, too. And then after the conversion, right, he's he goes all crazy, and that's like in the other versions, he's, you know, practically molesting his, uh, what do you call her, maid or something, right? right? Yeah, yeah. House cleaner. House cleaner, housekeeper. And it was, so in this movie, he's just going off the cuff, uh, on blown, live television. Blown TV executives away. <laughs> yeah. So in the end, he's, he comes and he interrupts his own live broadcast. Right. You know, interrupts Buddy Hackett. And the nice thing about it is, as he progresses through the movie, the, the practices and live broadcast kind of track along. So you right. get to follow along with it. And all. you get some and, direct and transitions is, that way, which I like. This interruption is something you know his previous self would have never have done, right? Sure. He would have been on anything to keep the show going the way it was planned to go. Including staples on a mouse. Right. Yes. <laughs> you would have rather seen them on a cat. Uh, one one other highlight. I, I did like when Bobcat Goldthwait came back in with a shotgun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and w- what I particularly appreciated was that he reloaded a number of times. Oh. Like, there are action true. movies that don't do as well with that. Uh, they Live, for yeah. instance. They Live. Right. It's the never-ending <laughs> clip. <laughs> well, and then, you know, he had a... He, has cameos all the way through there as he so he gets he's the one that gets fired by by uh, cross and then he goes home to tell his wife his wife kicks him out so he starts drinking so he shows up all these places drinking and one place mm-hmm. he's drinking and the ghost of christmas present reaches out and grabs the uh, grabs the bottle right out of his hand right and then another time he gets drenched with water and his alcohol falls out the bottom of the now wet bag and crashes and on crashes the floor right. yeah he can't catch a break yeah. one thing that was kind of unique about this was uh, it talked about the effect of his life on other people's. Yeah. So he has a chance to reunite with his fiance that he had left before for his television career. And she's now volunteering in a, and running a homeless shelter. And he's trying to reconnect with her because he's found her after all these years. And um, well, he kind of drunk dialed her one night, right? After, after the first visitation. Actually, the ghost did. Really? Marley did. Oh, okay. the Marley character who was his boss and philanderer. So yeah, so she he goes to visit her at the homeless shelter and he wants to take her out on a date and she has to take care of all these things, take care of the people. And he says, I have news for you, Claire. Just scrape them off. Take Save yourself. Yeah. And so when they show the ghost of Christmas future, she has adopted that mm-hmm. that approach. And she, yeah, she's now not caring for people. Yeah. Um, they didn't really do that with any of the other... No, that's true. I think that's right. more of a callback to It's a Wonderful Life because you, you see the, the plight of George Bailey's wife when he wasn't there. You know what I'm going to say at this point? Zuzu's Petals? I have never seen It's a Wonderful Life. Seriously? What? Seriously. Okay. I My son has never seen it either, and I told my wife, we, we need to make him watch this you one. Definitely this need year. to so, watch it. Tonight? Have it? Yeah. Oh, how's your son not seen it then? Esta noche? Tonight? No, probably not tonight. Okay. How's your son not seen it if you own it? <laughs> that movie's I for ha- kids. I have to admit, I'm not a huge fan of it. It's a little really? schmaltzy. I do, I do like uh, it, and I'm glad I've seen it, but, but it's not the kind of movie I could watch every year. Oh. Uh, so I think... You should give it to me. I, I watched I'll it. I'll buy it off you for a dollar. No, no deal. Dang it. I'd buy that for a dollar. That was the price earlier, but now it's gone up 15%. <laughs> and <laughs> no, if you wait until tomorrow, it'll go up another give 15. Give 15 cents. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that, that mental math is just, it's right there. Okay, anyhow, uh, we, we need to move on. We're, we're getting, yes. getting along here. So That's what she said. You, you feel like the comedy didn't hold up. But yeah, as we've been talking about it, it's, it's growing a little in my estimation. 
it we're fond for it to say at least yeah i'm i guess i would recommend seeing it once but it's not i i doubt i'll ever watch it again okay so stop at your local public library I don't know. Yeah. Everyone I watch it every year. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, you can defend Along it, Along with uh, Die Hard and Christmas Vacation. So. Oh, back <laughs> yeah. to back, like marathon style? Oh, yeah. Rising oh, on. Die Hard is the only one of those I would watch. Right. Die Hard is my favorite Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah. Hey, don't save that for later, man. Of uh, course, we don't have that much time left. Um, True. Anything else to say about that? No. No. Okay. Uh, why don't we rank the ones we actually watched? Okay. So that's the 1951 Muppets, Scrooged, and 1999. That was four, yeah. Sorry. What, what I said about the mental math, I take it back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Colin, you want to go first or you need a minute to yeah, think? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. So, I'll go um, my favorite movies. Uh, 99, 51, Muppets, and Scrooged. And unlike other adaptations, I mean, I liked them all. So, it's not like I'm saying, you right. know, don't go out and not watch Scrooged. Sure. But, yeah, I, I think it's worth watching to say you've seen it. Yeah. I'm kind of ranking mine on what what ones would I want to watch again next year over like, you know, yeah, I think that's... consecutively, right? Sure, sure. So, what do you for got, me, man? number one would be the Muppets, because they're awesome. <laughs> I find the Muppet movie extremely entertaining. <laughs> and I like, I like the music. All right. Know. And <laughs> two through four? Yes. Or Picard, Picard Christmas. Carol. Mm-hmm. Picard Carol. There you go. Yeah, Probably see. Scrooge, huh? Probably Scrooge. Sorry, don't let me yeah. put words in your mouth. No, I think I have to go with Scrooge, because as much as I like the 1951 film i don't know that i would go out of my way to watch it yeah mostly because i enjoyed another movie outside of that set much more <laughs> sure um my rankings i mean i had them written down i i like the 1951 a lot i have only seen it once and so i'm not sure how i'll like it on repeat viewings and so mm-hmm. I, I imagined that i would like it a lot um so i put that one first and then then muppets and then 1999 and then scrooged and like i said i'm not sure i would watch scrooged again mm. but i suppose i would if you right. invited me over or if you came over Fair and you're like, we have yeah. to watch Scrooge. Or I'm not coming yeah. over. Um, okay, let's talk quickly about other versions that we have all seen or individually seen. And right. so n- name one and we will talk about it if we've all seen it. If we haven't, you can. Uh, I watched uh, fin- and finished watching today the 1970 Albert Finney adaptation. It's Scrooge, a musical. Exclamation point. Scrooge, exclamation point. It's a musical. Uh, it's It's not bad. Uh, but I felt it was kind of a slog. And, you know, I'd watched yeah. a whole lot of movies. And the thing is, right after that, I watched another adaptation that I will let you mention. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I'll i join you about the 1970 version. Yeah. Um, it's got one thing going against it in that it had the youngest person, even younger than Michael Caine, playing Scrooge. Yeah. Albert Finney was 34 years old. And he ends up playing uh, both versions of Scrooge, the young present Scrooge and, and the present self. day Scrooge, which is very rare in, in adaptations. And there's one other adaptation that I watched that does that, but it's, those are the only two. Yeah. Um, and oh, yeah, I thought that was the one you were talking about, the 1970s one. It probably was. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I didn't, I didn't care for his, them aging him up and him trying to sound crotchety. And yeah. I don't like it, a big affectation. So somebody like George C. Scott or Patrick Stewart or Michael Caine, they can do mm-hmm. a good gruff Scrooge just naturally. Right. Yeah. And then you use a younger actor for, for flashbacks. And that's the way I think it should be done, probably because I've seen it done that way and like it. Yes. Um, but yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of that. I will say that I love uh, the, the setting up of the Scrooge character in that movie with the song, I Hate People. It, it is magnificent. <laughs> yes. But that was pretty much the whole highlight for me. I, I also kind of liked the black humor of the Thank You Very Much song, where they're thanking him for dying. Yes. Because all these people are free from their debts now because of him because of him right. dying. And then that's paid off at the end when he actually lifts the guy's debt. Which is one of the few ways that, uh, that kind of 
mortgage couple thing got adapted because that didn't happen very often in any of the adaptations. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to come back and talk about that when we talk about, you know, my spreadsheet of doom here. Oh, yeah. yes. Okay. So, uh, yeah, the 1984 movie with, with George C. Scott, it's a television movie. That's the one we watched it the first time it broadcast. We taped it on our VCR, which was a recording device. It was a TiVo <laughs> in, in 1984. And, and we watched it every Christmas. That was my second year. introduction to this Christmas story. First being the Muppets. <laughs> yeah. And so to me, that's, that's the canonical version. And I have a really hard time separating that subjective love of that from where I would rank it with other ones. I right. kind of judge all the other ones by that. And so when, when I say that some of the stuff in the 1999 one didn't work for me, it's because I liked the portrayal better in the 1984 movie. Though, like I said, I do give credit to uh, the Patrick Stewart version for having more like Cockney people for right. The Cratchits. There was a lot of, a lot of detail to, in the 1999 movie yeah. that, I, that I appreciated. In, in the George C. Scott version, it's David Warner. And he does not yeah. really fit Bob, Bob Cratchit. I love him. Right. I, I love the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I kind of, I would almost argue that Bob Cratchit is the pivotal character in that movie because it's around his family that Scrooge kind of comes around. Yeah. Um, you know, his, his right. heart is sort of first well, softened he, when he like realizes. It's the an- antithesis of Scrooge, right? Yeah. The Cratchit family. Yeah. So, yeah, I, the 1984 one, and I, I had started to say earlier, and I'll say now, that the, the encounter with Marley, it's the actor who does that, he is my absolute favorite Marley. I love how real he is. He doesn't stay translucent like in the 1991. Mm. I like him real. But, and so with lighting and makeup, they make him look very grim yeah. and ghostly, but I love his performance. It's so visceral. Um, it, it just, it, I love it. Yeah, I like the 99 Marley better. But that's an okay. opinion. <laughs> You don't you don't object to the slapstick of the jaw. Oh, I think it's totally appropriate. I it's right out of the book. That, no, <laughs> the jaw falling open is, but him going oh oh oh, and Scrooge helping him with his jaw. Yeah, I did not. I, I thought it was slapsticky. It was out of place. It took uh, me out. Of, it took me out of the scene. Okay, I can um, see that. So, and I, I have to. I totally have to freely admit that it's because I love that. I love Marley so much in the 1984 one that any. Anything that strays from that, when mm. I'm sounding like you. Yes. Right? You didn't adapt that scene faithfully at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and this is where, you know, I kind of get back to, I can't be objective about it. There's no way. I, yeah. And I don't, I don't really think there's an objective way to judge which is the best adaptation. Right. I think best is, by its nature, Subjective. a qualitative right. measurement. Yeah. So, so truth and average, Seth and I have been having an argument. On and off now for five weeks, about well, who has about a year. Yeah, who who has the better? How long have we been doing this podcast? <laughs> right. yeah. And so it's been 1999 with Patrick Stewart or the George C. Scott. And so just right. just as far as truth and advertising goes, the George C. Scott one is the first one I saw. And up until the part I had mm-hmm. seen the Patrick Stewart adaptation, it was mm-hmm. the one that I thought of. Right. When I thought right. Christmas Carol, I mm-hmm. thought George C. Scott. Yeah. Now. Because it wasn't easily you know, easily got, I didn't watch it again for twenty years after I originally watched it back mm-hmm. in the mid '80s. You didn't you didn't tape it? No, we didn't have a VCR back then. <laughs> oh wow, yeah, we were slumming. Um, and that being said, now that I've watched it and I, and I just watched it before I came here, his performance has um, a level of expressiveness that mm-hmm. I don't think Patrick Stewart has. I would agree. I love I love the tears. I love the growl. Mm-hmm. George C. Scott's growl. Um, I, I love the manicness that comes out at the end. Mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart has all that, but George C. Scott, I think, has more range. Yeah. Um, He's describing all the reasons why I like that movie better. Yeah. I also <laughs> like at the end when he goes to Fred's 
and he kind of puts his arms around both of them and says, God, forgive me for the time I've wasted. Yeah. I, I love that. And, and you know, that's, yeah. that's like me stepping in your shoes of loving a good redemption story. And this whole thing is a redemption story, right? Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Is, is he going to continue to live his life and, and let two people die? Right. Or is he going to step in and step out? Right. Plus, the equalizer played the ghost of Christmas present. Yes. So. And he does a nice <laughs> job. Yeah. Except for the fake chest. All right. James, any other versions you watched or have seen in the past? Nope. What about the 2009? Well, I guess we covered it already. I already mentioned that one. Yeah. 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 And we have all seen that one. Yeah. yeah. I'm, just, I'm just sad that the 1984 George C. Scott version didn't make it in the rankings because I would have put it at number one. Well, no, listen, <laughs> we, we are going to do an overall ranking, not, not oh, just okay. talking about what, we're, all right. what we talked about this time, yeah. but like our top three of all time. Yeah. Um, I watched a bunch. Um, there was a 1971 animated version. Oh, that's not true. I did watch uh, the Mickey Christmas Girl. <laughs> oh, that one's fun. Uh, it's about I, 25 minutes long. <laughs> now there is where there's a giant for the Ghost of Christmas Present. Yes, right? and he's the big dumb giant. Yeah, big from, dumb giant. Disney. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> and Goofy is Marley who keeps getting right. distracted. Uh, squirrel. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I watched, and I'll put it in the show notes because it's on YouTube. There's a 1901. Um, silent silent film? film It's like 12 minutes long Maybe wow. maybe it's not even that long um, Is it called, just Marley? Yeah, it's just called Marley's Ghost oh. Marley is the only ghost in it So it's extremely <laughs> abridged But it's yeah. I think it's the first film adaptation um, Then there was The 1949 television version of it Which, as far as I can tell I think Wikipedia said Is the the oldest extant television version So it's the only version you can still find It's narrated by Vincent mm. Price Which is the only good thing I can say about it because I hated it. <laughs> I, I watched it and it's another one of those things where Scrooge is not as old as he should be. And so oh. he's, he does this kind of Abe Simpson impression. It's dreadful. Um, I'll put a link for that one up there so people can agree with me. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't, I didn't watch one, but I listened to one. So apparently, oh, nice. um, Mr. Dickens would do this as a reading. And mm-hmm. so he has an abridged version. He abridged himself mm-hmm. and Neil Gaiman performed that. Yes. Yeah, you sent that one. You posted that one on Facebook. I did. And yeah, I, I listened to that. That's, that's quite delightful. Yeah. And I, I missed listening to the Jonathan Winters uh, on my Ubuntu-based laptop. I didn't have anything to do, listen to Windows Media or Real Media. Nice. Mm. That, that kind of dates it, Real Media, huh? It was old. Yeah. I listened to a bit of that one, and the Scrooge affectation bothered me. Yeah? Yeah. Where, where Gaiman just kind of read it straight um, and, and, and didn't do any heavy-handed impressions of anything which yeah. i much prefer in narr- book narrators um i also watched part of the 1935 seymour hicks version which is the other one that i was talking about where the same actor plays young and old scrooge oh but in this case i thought he did a much better job of portraying the young the, the older scrooge um and i believe if i'm if i'm not mistaken seymour hicks was a silent film actor who transitioned into non-silent film into talkies and so I think he may have been in the previous one of the previous silent versions. Well, we know Alastair Sim reprised his role as Scrooge in a voice capacity in for an the, animated version. Yeah, for the right? 1971 animated version, which is a good one. Okay. Um, but it's quite abridged as well because it's short. Yeah. All right. Um, time is running low. Time is running low. Okay, so all time is it time to do all-time favorites? Or did we do that already? I, I will say my sister suggested that I, I watch A Diva's Christmas Carol starring <laughs> Vanessa Williams. And... Did you? I looked it up. I I found it on YouTube, I think, and then I realized Kathy Griffin was in it, and I went, "Nope, not going to happen." There are yeah, our deal breakers in movies, and Kathy Griffin is one of them for me. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So let's do all time rankings. They don't have to just include the four that we did here. You want to do top three? Top, yeah, however do top many you want. You want to list? 
Yeah. All right. Why don't you go first this time? I will go first. So I, you've probably guessed that the George C. Scott version right. from 1984 is my favorite. Yep. Then probably Muppets, just because I feel like it's so rewatchable. <laughs> and and then I'd go with the right. 1951. I really enjoyed it. Now, on further viewings, it may it may cool in my estimation. I'm not sure. But right now, I'm kind of riding the, the honeymoon of, of that one, and I, I liked it a lot. All right. I'll go with the George C. Scott, number one. Muppets, number two. And Scrooge, number three. Just because they, those are my top three. Not because they're probably the, the best movies, best of movies, I suppose. But watchable over and over again, mm-hmm. for sure. And Colin? Boy, you know, I thought I had it pretty clear in my mind until I watched the George C. Scott. It is a good <laughs> one. Um, those so, ones are very similar. And, and so I feel like the little bits that are different, whichever one you prefer, that's the one that's going to... You know, whichever one has more of the, the things that you prefer is the one you're going to like. Yeah. So I still like the 1999 better, but boy, snugged right up underneath it is the George C. Scott. Well, that's good to hear. And then, you know, we for can the still third, be friends. Yeah, good. For the, 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 for the third, just for variety, I think I would throw in uh, The Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah. Uh, I think, although I do like the Alistair Sim, and I, I own the 1935 version, uh, Seymour Hicks. Mm-hmm. And I, I bought a copy of the Albert Finney, and I'm going to find a nice library to donate it to, I think. Oh, yes. Okay, real quick before we wrap up, uh, other Christmas movie recommendations. Since it is Christmas time, we might as well tell our listeners what else we watch. James has already I think said I just Die told Hard. You. Die Hard? Yep. Other Die Christmas Hard, movie. Die Hard 2, A Christmas uh, Vacation. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. We always watch White Christmas when we're putting up the tree. That's, that's one of my favorites. That's another one. Yeah. We, uh, we recently watched that one. Polar Apple. Express. Oh, I I don't like that one. Oh, um, that's too bad. It, the, 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 it's 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 the Jewish elves. That just, oh. It just bugs the crap out of me. And like, yeah. it, and it's not. It, I mean, it's not because I have something against Jews. I just have something against. I I find that offensive. <laughs> They're all supposed to look like Steven Tyler. I, I don't care. They, they actually use the word Mashugana in there. So oh, which is a Yiddish word meaning like nuts. Um, so, I mean, if if just the vocal affectation didn't sound enough like Jackie Mason uh, uh, using that <laughs> word, just like, okay, um, maybe it was a shout out. Maybe it was a, nice. a the other, my other main problem with that is that there's no sacred Christmas music in it whatsoever. It's all totally secular, relentlessly secular, where like in the mm-hmm. in the Jim Carrey Christmas yeah. Carol, there's all kinds of, of wonderful sacred Christmas music. Which right. I like. And in most of the Christmas Carol movies, there is. Yeah. Well, this is not a Christmas Carol movie. And no. uh, you're you're right. It's it's very secular, but it's all about faith. Yeah. And granted, in this case, the faith is in Santa Claus instead of in Jesus Christ. True. But faith. Yeah. It's it's uh yeah it's spiritual rather than religious. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is another reason I don't like it. So the one thing that we haven't done yet is we haven't taken off our gloves and had the big talk about canonicalism versus what makes a good movie canonicalism yeah. or. Oh, Whatever it is that you, you choose right. to pick. Okay. I'm not done with, with recommendations or Christmas, oh, though. Okay, I'm bad then. <laughs> all, right, all right, I'll name off a couple. Elf, A Christmas Story. Oh, uh, yeah, Christmas Story. You totally forgot about that one. Yeah. Well, we and, just watched that one. There. An unexpected <laughs> one that, that we actually uh, liked more than we thought we would uh, was Arthur Christmas, which is an animated one with uh, has Hugh Laurie and Bill Nighy and uh, what is that guy's name? James McAvoy, I think. Hmm. And it uh, it's, yeah, surprisingly fun. And it's it's it shows this kind of technological way that that Santa gets things done in the modern way versus like Bill Nye he plays like Grandpa Christmas oh. who, who was like three genera- two generations ago Santa Claus, um, you know and actually used a sleigh with magic reindeer, 
Um, and yeah, he, he steals the show. I mean, it's it's good with his tentacle clad face. No, oh jeez, no. <laughs> um, and the Santa Claus movies we kind of like too. And, the and Tim other? Allen slant Santa Claus movies. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Santa Claus with an E. Yeah, I don't think I'll be watching those. Emily hates Tim Allen. Okay then. <laughs> He's your Kathy uh, Gibbon. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> I believe so. <laughs> no Galaxy Quest. No Jungle to well, Jungle. Except Cali- Galaxy okay. Quest. Okay. All right. Uh, moving on. Moving on. Talking about adaptations. Adaptations. So, yeah. You, evidently, the 2009 Jim Carrey version is more canonical than the 1999 version. So, would you say that therefore it is the best adaptation? I... Jim Carrey in that movie has the same problem you were describing with. Uh, the younger Scrooge guy. So, like, Jim Carrey's voice is very... I don't even know how to describe it, but gruffed up or, you know... It's affected. Affected, yeah. Yeah. There you you go. And there are parts of the movie that are put in there just like we were talking about, right? For the 3D effect. Yeah. So there's some of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are some... that happened in the the future. The Ghost of Christmas yet to come. Huge chase scene and yeah. well, but also in the Ghost on. for Christmas Past, where he tries to shove the the the, oh, the right. cone down on the ghost's head and it takes off. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, those kind of things. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say no. I think you could have a very canonically adapted story with all the right plot lines, mm-hmm. and then have other elements which make it, uh, which I don't like. Because right, we we came down to this. It's uh, it's all very subjective. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm looking for a faithful adaptation, and then you know, and then and then go from there, mm-hmm. right? So, and and you were having a very different approach. You're saying let's make a good movie based on the storyline. Yeah, let's make a good movie first, and if it's faithful, so much the better. Yes. Um, and really, what what my argument was, you could have two versions. If they covered exactly the same material, you would still have to say one of them was better than the other based on execution. So I think in the end, yeah, there is some. There's a bunch of subjectivism. Even the people that we would consider experts. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I think you have to kind of strike a balance between what the audience expects and what you want to give them. Sure. If, you, if you're indeed going to be that much different than the source material. Yeah, and so, so like Scrooge, I think, I mean, yeah, it was, maybe it was a risk, I don't know, to go that askew from it. I mean, like, like I said, I mentioned earlier that mm-hmm. the character names are not the same. It is right. not strictly an adaptation of A Christmas Carol. It's it's inspired by A Christmas Carol and right. wrapped around A Christmas <laughs> Carol. I guess I would still say it's adapted from it, but just barely. Yeah. Well, and interestingly enough, right, well, one yeah, of my the, beefs the is... The plot points are there and this, the story's there. You know, you got your ghosts and Marley and mm-hmm. the, the transformation of the Scrooge yeah. character. Right. Yeah, it lifts the story I mean, it's, out. It's generally it in... an adaptation. It's just not... Faithful, as faithful as any other one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> per se. All right, final thoughts on A Christmas Carol. I, I thought we'd have a larger argument than this. I thought we'd, I think we had more time. Maybe we would. And and <laughs> and this is this is the nice thing that that we actually you know live in the same place and get together quite a bit, so we can argue about it off the air. Oh yes, <laughs> right. oh we will. If there's anything to argue about. No, I think I think we both started at the edges and moved in toward the middle. Yeah. Right. So. What what do you mean right? You're usually the moderate one okay, between I mean the left, two of us. Left. <laughs> um, do we want to talk about what we're going to do next? Or do you want to leave it as a surprise? Surprise. Because uh, I will say that I had said that the last movie that we did was going to be my choice. And then I said, no, I'm not satisfied with. So A Christmas Carol is going to be my choice. And now right. I'm thinking, no, no, we all decided to do that. Have we settled on where it is? So, yeah. so well, uh, plus something kind of unusual came up. 
True. Yes. January marks the yeah, release of a. Uh, you want, should I not tell them about? No, no, go for it. You sure? Yes. Okay. Uh, is the release of an adapted Heinlein work? Oh, hey! Before before we continue, I, I wanted to say we were having the the whole discussion about if this was really sci fi, and I wanted to give a shout out to the Sci Fi Movie Podcast, which definitely covers science fiction movies. Right. But for Christmas, they are talking about Love Actually, which what is yeah, it, they're doing what they want because it's their podcast, their rules. <laughs> so we can totally do the same. And so Christmas sure. Carol's totally more science fiction. But um, you know, if you're interested in hearing that, then head over and and look for them at sci-fi-moviepodcast dot com. Yeah. Well, and don't we also have Rem to thank for the recommendation of this awesome new hardware that we're using for recording? We do actually. One. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, small manufacturing issue. So two out of three awesome microphones, definitely. So we want to give a shout out to Rem and Ian and Jonathan. Thanks for doing what you guys do over there. Yar. And now we can go back to our previously scheduled discussion of what we're doing next. Okay, so uh, we just so we've been following. A lot, I've been following a lot of news sites, and you know, learning about you know what's coming up, uh, what people think about what happens in the last year. A couple of different sites have said that one of the unsung hits of 2014, for example, was Edge of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is kind of nice. We enjoyed it. I thought it was a you know okay adaptation, and we covered that, and we did. Um, but anyway, coming up in January is an adaptation of a Heinlein book. All You Zombies? Mm-hmm. Correct. Uh, the movie Predestination. Underscore, underscore, all you zombies, underscore, underscore. <laughs> yeah, <weird>. whatever. <laughs> it's weird. Um, unusually, you can find this online uh, in, and download a PDF and read it, or you can go to your library and get mm-hmm. it from any number of places that we'll oh, be I able to tell about you about. The movie. <laughs> well, no, so the movie's going to be released in be January. <laughs> uh, in it, but it's a limited theatrical release and video right. on demand. And exactly. I was worried that it w- might not be available you know, like in February or March. And so we, we kind of bumped it up in the priority. Yeah. Uh, and then we're going to get right back onto what we want to do. Right, Seth? Yes. Or what you want to do. No, not what I want to do. Okay. No, no. Um, I was, I was saying since I'm saying that the um, Christmas Carol doesn't count for my choice. So my choice is I'll use zombies, which frees you up to do what you wanted to do next. What did I which want? Which was another classic science fiction film. War of the Worlds. Yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> now, yes. I will say that the aforementioned sci-fi movie podcast is actually covering that this week as we record. Um, so we, we would be following them and covering some of the same. So we ground, have competition. But, but no, it's not competition. It's, it's a, a friendship, partnership. Collaboration. Yeah, there we go. Friendly competition. I'll listen and we'll tell them, <laughs> we'll tell them if they're wrong. Yeah. Well, then I, I don't think they're going to talk much about the book. And I, I, they are going to be talking about the two major adaptations that we would be talking about as well. Right. Tom and Cruise's in the 1950s era? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, maybe we could do the Hammer version. I, I don't want to. But, That's not. Or, or the Asylum, maybe. Um, there's so many adaptations we could do. Yeah. Right. Um, well, we also talked about listening to the original radio broadcast. It's yeah. available on YouTube right now. Yeah. I, I feel like our our viewpoint is unique enough with, with talking about the book and the movies that we can cover the same material and uh, right. people can benefit book, from book both. and film adaptation. We can have a podcast throwdown. Yeah, exactly. Well, Alrighty. Um, that about wraps it up. I think so. You guys, anything else to say? This okay. is uh, our one year anniversary this month. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I think we recorded oh, our right. first episode in December of last year. Yeah. So, Farewell to the master. Yeah. Farewell well, to and the, the outline. Outline. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully our audio quality is better for this one than it was for that first one. And for some of the subsequent ones where, <laughs> yes. where we didn't plug in the microphones. But uh, yeah, I think we're done for A Christmas Carol for this edition. And we thank you all for listening out there. And we wish you a happy new year and happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. As, uh, I guess happy Christmas is more 
continental. More, more British. Yes. Happy Christmas. Yes. Happy Christmas, everyone. Come listen to us and know us better, men. Yes. And women and spouses and significant others. And neighbors. God bless us all, everyone. So we're, we're done. That's a wrap. Yes? Yes. Okay. Yes. So for James and Colin, I'm Seth, and we are the Pavement Pounders. We thank you for listening to Take Me to Your Reader, and we hope you'll join us next time in discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. Until then, we leave you with the Pavement Pounders blessing. Colin's going to do it. I love a good redemption story. <laughs> yes, he does. That's what she said? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's based, based on the... Uh, May the road rise up to meet you. Yeah, it's based on the Irish blessing, right? And may your ebook never run out of batteries. Something like that. Good enough. <laughs> Thank you all for listening and bearing with us. Bye. These events can be changed. A life can be made right. And I, I looked a little bit at, at the etymology, uh, whatever the word oh, is. Etymology. Etymology, yeah. Not, I always want to say entomology. Oh, my gosh. Does that suck? <laughs> James, James picked them up at Christmas Carol because he likes toys. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that's... Shh, only in the bedroom. Wow. <laughs> you can cut that part out. <laughs> yes, but it's recorded now. So it can, it can show up in any podcast, anytime. <laughs> That's going to be his new ringtone. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's so later on. Somebody's going to say, "Oh, disappointing," and I'm going to cut in only in the bedroom. That's what she said. Yeah, exactly. It was dumb. It was obvious. It was pointless. It was short. Only in the bedroom. I loved it. <laughs> That's what she said. God bless us all, everyone. I think men and women covers a pretty significant portion of that population. I hope so. I say significant because not all, because there's other variations. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you can't uh, neglect the hermaphrodite minority. Right, right. Yes, you non-cisgendered people <laughs> out there in the world. Yeah. Now, I have to kill all of you. <laughs> <laughs>